Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome back to the Radiant Podcast, and we are in for another fun conversation this week with my new friend Katie Hunt of Trade Show Bootcamp. We had a fantastic conversation around product-based businesses and what it actually entails to get your product into somewhere like Anthropology or J. Crew. It's kind of a different conversation for the Radiant Podcast, but I found it so interesting. And for those of you service-based businesses, don't worry. We still talk about things like scaling and delegating, and I think any type of creative will find this conversation to be inspiring and encouraging. So let's do it. Let's dive in. I'm so excited for you guys to meet Katie and hear our conversation. Hey, Katie. Hey, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. I am so excited to have you on. I loved getting to dive in and see what you're doing with Trade Show Bootcamp. So I would love for you to kind of tell our listeners who you are, what you do, all the things, because I find um, what you do and what you're bringing into the world pretty cool. Oh, thank you. Well, my name is Katie Hunt, you guys, and I'm so honored to be here. I am the founder of Trade Show Bootcamp, and I work with product-based businesses, so people making physical goods, mostly in the stationary and gift industry, but as we've grown the business, we've started helping other people doing, you know, shirts and textiles and jewelry and candles and all sorts of things, but they're mostly in the gift uh, arena there. And our core programming is where we help them learn how to sell wholesale and do trade shows. So that means when you walk into your favorite retail store, like Anthropology or Jaker or any of that, the products that you see on the shelves, that's made by some another company typically. And so we help those other companies get their products on the shelves of those stores, big and small. Very cool. So how did you get started? I would love for you to kind of yeah. tell us like, what made you dive into this industry? I joke it's a happy accident, but uh, looking back in hindsight, it, it did make a lot of sense. So I was running my own stationary line. I started that business in 2008, in the fall of 2008. And in the spring of 2009, I decided to jump into wholesale. I did not know what I was doing, but I went to the National Stationery Show, which is our industry's big show, about six months after starting my business. And I thought, if I'm going to do this, I want to do this. I want to, you know, I want to see my products on the shelves of stores. And in doing that, I learned a lot of hard lessons because, you know, I didn't know all these things I needed to know. But after that show, I wrote a blog post for a friend of mine that basically framed around like five things I wish I had known before I had gone to the show. And every year when these types of trade shows started to come around, I would get all these emails from people just like me, small business owners, one person shops, they had Etsy stores, and they were thinking about making this jump into wholesale, you know, and, and they just didn't know what to do. And they had the same types of questions over and over. How much product do I need? How much does this really cost? Am I big enough to go? Does it make sense for me? And I would sit there and thoughtfully write every single person back. And I, after a while I looked around, I thought, you know, I don't have all the answers. I, you know, I have the things that I've learned along the way, but there's a lot of other people that have been doing this longer or have different areas of expertise within our industry and they could teach us as well. So I got some of my colleagues and friends together and we created our first set of classes in 2011. And it was basically, we just wanted to share what we knew. We wanted to share different perspectives and 
it, this was before like online learning was what it is today. And, you know, we, we shared our knowledge and our idea was that if we work together and share the resources and experiences, then our individual businesses will grow stronger, faster. We'll reach our own definition of success more quickly because we're not starting from scratch. You know, we're, we're leveraging everyone else's experiences. So we started in 2011 and now, uh, you know, I do in-person conferences. We have online courses. I do one-on-one coaching. We have a podcast called proof to product that you know taken off really well like it's it's just incredible to see the evolution and now that's what I do full-time I do this coaching and mentoring full-time were you operating in the online space in 2011 I was. Yeah. When we started Trade Show Bootcamp, we were doing four teleconference calls, but all of our sales were through online sales. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I was doing there either. And we started offering webinars in 2012. And that's when we did our first conference in 2012. So now, you know, eight years into this, we've done 15 conferences, like 230 webinars. We've now shifted things to be more of an e-course format where, you know, it's, it's videos and live calls. But for a long time, it was just live calls. Like, let's get everybody together. Yeah, so it's evolved quite a bit. And, you know, looking back, this was a really natural progression for me. My background is in business. I have a dual MBA in marketing and finance, and I worked in the corporate world for over a decade doing similar things to what I do now for creative entrepreneurs. It was just for a different market. And it's it's an industry that I'm very passionate about. And I'm passionate about the people I work with because I am them and they are me. You know, we we're one or two person shops and we're trying to build these little empires or big empires, whatever they might be. And I just want to help everyone succeed. So one thing you said is you're one or two person shops and you're trying to help them, you know, kind of build empires. And I, mm-hmm. I've, yeah. I've been there, you know, I kind of my first online business was wedding invitations. And oh, so, I didn't realize that about yeah. you. And so um, my husband and I did some graphic design together and that just worked really well. I had a little Etsy shop, mm-hmm. um, you know, filled about a hundred orders. Nice. And so I kind of understand that world a little bit. How do you help these small business owners, especially in this product market? How do you help them scale? Because I, yeah. I know that can be so overwhelming and we often don't have kind of your niche highlighted in the online business world on the podcast. It seems to be, you know, service-based programs, mm-hmm. you know, where you're equipping someone to create a service that they can then offer. But I, I think, you know, we have some listeners who have a physical product and they have no idea yeah. what to do to scale that. Yeah, well, I I think it really it drives back to your business model first and foremost and what types of products you're selling. So when I talk about business model, like how are you selling these? Are you selling to the retail channel, which is selling direct to the end user, whoever's going to use your product or gift your product or whatever it might be? Or do you want to sell wholesale, meaning selling to the shops who then sell to the end user? Each each go-to-market strategy, and there's more too, you can license and do collaborations and things like that. But retail and wholesale are the two primary that our audience is either doing or considering or they're trying to juggle both. And and most people do both, to be honest with you. But in terms of scaling, you know, we want to make sure that uh, what I find is that a lot of people don't have enough product. So we, we start first with product because if they don't have enough product or if they don't have a cohesive collection of products, then it makes the rest of it more difficult, right? It's harder to market. It's harder to get the buyers interested. And so we start with product first. And then we look at, okay, what's your go-to-market strategy? 
technology and you have systems in place to streamline things, you know, what technologies are you using? And then we talk about marketing and getting it out in front of your audience, whether again, that's the general consumer or your wholesale market. And then we talk about other ways to get your product out there. So, you know, the bigger, the bigger question here is how do you diversify and how do you make this like a scalable business? Well, that's where we start layering in things like licensing or collaborations, but your core business is typically retail or wholesale. And I'm finding that a lot of people still need help streamlining those two things before they can scale up with other revenue streams. And how do you typically help someone start streamlining? I can imagine that's a pretty time involved process. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's where I get into my one-on-one coaching with people and we do dive into like, okay, well, what are they passionate about? What kind of products do they like making? What are their talents and skills? What are they excited about? You know, what in their business feels like a total drain and can they outsource or can they get rid of completely? And so that's where, you know, again, the one-on-one coaching goes, but in so much that we have our courses, that's where we're really just educating them on our core program is called paper camp. And that's where we educate them on what goes into wholesaling, what goes into having a successful product line for wholesale. How do you get in front of your wholesale buyers? So that is more of a general, I guess, like it's a lot of how to and why and all that, but it's also, it's, it's overarching. Here's what you need to do if this is something you want to do. But we do have people that come through the program and say, Nope, I don't want to wholesale or no, I don't want to do trade shows. And I find that even just as valuable as as knowing, knowing whether or not you want to do something is just as valuable as knowing how to do it. Oh, absolutely. When you can kind of get, you know, the answer before you dive in and invest thousands and thousands of dollars that you don't want to do something, you know, thousands of dollars and hours of your days and yeah, all of it worth its weight in gold. So, so you've kind of been in this online space even before, I mean, 2011, 2012, that's kind of before online trainings were a huge thing. Would you say? I would. Yeah. I yeah. start. I've been an entrepreneur for 10 years now. And even with my stationary business, majority of it was online. You know, I met some of our bootcamp speakers on Twitter back in 2008, 2009. So yeah, it was definitely before the rise of online education as we know it now. And it's been a really interesting evolution to watch it change and to also be able to leverage some of those new technologies and changes while also wanting to stay true to our own sales methods and our own marketing methods and things like that. Yeah. How have you guys evolved and what would you say to the person who kind of feels that tension of, okay, as soon as I get up, a good thing going, something changes. I mean, that could be pretty scary. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I do think we need to be flexible and we need to like pay attention to what's happening out on the market. But I also would encourage people not to make drastic shifts just because they see other people doing something. I've found that, you know, yes, we need to embrace new technologies or if there's new ways to streamline things, then all means, like by all means, try it out and see if it works. But don't feel pressured to just follow the crowd either and and ride the wave of whatever's new and, and seemingly innovative because maybe that won't work for you or your audience. You know, one thing that we do that we've stayed true with is, you know, my programs are pretty high touch. Our paper camp uh, e-course, our conference is two days in person and that's very high touch, but our e-course is a four week course and we have live calls every week and we have a Facebook group that people can chat in. And I know other groups and education programs do Facebook groups, but like 
a lot of programming out there now is just, you know, online videos. You watch yourself and you work your way through your programs and maybe they have a Facebook group. Maybe they don't. A lot and not too many, too, too many have like live calls attached to them in the community building. And so we have that's been a, a priority for me to continue to keep that. So that's something we do. I actually get a lot of people to ask, well, this is just an online course I do on my own. I get it all at once. And I say, no, actually, we walk you through week by week, step by step. And we've got guest experts that come in. So I think to answer your question, though, it's about staying true to who you are and the focus and mission of your company and making sure that you're continuing to serve your people in the best way possible while also, you know, leveraging the innovations that come your way. But I do think it's important to not get distracted by shiny object syndrome and all the new technologies that are out there. I don't know. I just like to keep things simple too. So would you say, you know, do you see often people overcomplicate things in their business and then, you know, turn around and come back down to simplifying? Because I know I've, you know, come back to simplifying at times. Absolutely. I've seen it in my own business, just like you said you have, you know, where I think, oh, we need to be adding this and adding this and, you know, adding more value. And sometimes streamlined things are adding more value than things that are overstuffed with seemingly valuable content. Or That, that is so true, because sometimes the consumer, me being the consumer for other people's programs, I just want it to be simple and straightforward. Yes. Yes, yes. And two, as a busy entrepreneur, you don't have hours and hours and hours to spend on something. So if you can get something in a short amount of time in a simple format and get the answers you need, boom, success. (laughs) Win, win for both parties. Yes, exactly. So what would be your advice to someone who's kind of just starting out, who kind of has an idea, but has really no idea how to like really dive into a a product market, it's one thing to kind of release your service, build an audience and release your services to where, you know, people can book, you know, yeah. a call with me or a session. Like, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not putting that down. Those are some of my services, but I don't have, you know, a product in J crew. That's quite an endeavor. So what's, <laughs> what's your journey like in working with clients and helping them to kind of get their product in front of more people? And what's your why behind that? Does uh, It sounds like it really lights you up. Like I can hear it in, and how you describe it. It's really cool. And and it's kind of a different, you know, industry for me. So I'm just Mm -hmm. curious. Yeah. Well, to go back to your very initial question, if somebody's interested in getting started in a product space, I would recommend that you just continue to create, create new product. And I would use something like an Etsy platform or something that's already built. So you're not investing thousands of dollars in a new website that you then have to push traffic to, but like find a place where people are already hanging out and just post stuff for sale and see what people are drawn to see, you know, like just developing your product line needs to be the very first step in creating a product-based business. And that means deciding on what your aesthetic is, deciding on which products you want to create and starting to do your research and development for where you're going to manufacture those things. In terms of your first thing for wholesale to get onto the shelves of retail shops, that's actually your product too. Now that I think about it a little bit more, like you need to develop a a large enough product line that buyers have choices. So we recommend in the stationary gift world that people have 48 unique SKUs before they start wholesaling, before they start reaching out to sales reps. Sales reps are people that go into stores and try to sell your products for you or before they do a wholesale trade show, like the big ones I was mentioning at the beginning of this interview. And so, but again, if you don't have a solid product line, just like if you're in the service business, if you don't have a solid service to sell, you're shouting into, you know, the abyss without really talking to anybody. So you need to have a refined product or service before you start dabbling in any of this. What do you do when someone comes to you and they're 
product or service is not refined enough or they don't have enough, yeah. you know, variety. And how do you kind of coach them through? Obviously, <laughs> they can listen to this interview and go decide to work with you. But, you know, for, you know, kind of an entry level, how would you start concepting? Okay, I need to add more variety, but I think I've given this all I've got. Like, I have nothing yeah. left to add to this. I know that even in writing sometimes you know, my literary agent has come back and said, add this, add that. And I'm like, I have nothing left to give. Right, right. Well, I have, so I feel like my answer to this is kind of two parts. One, if people know what else they want to create or they have, they still have the creative juices flowing, we'll talk about different product categories that make sense for them and where to get those manufactured and basically looking at what makes the most sense for them. We'll look at past data to see what their best sellers were and which products have the best margins for them. And so we'll really try to create a more fleshed out line based upon what they're already doing. So we'll find products that are complementary to what they're already selling. We'll try to make sure that there's easy ways to manufacture it. And uh, there's a lot that goes into helping to refine their actual product line. But when you're talking about the creative juice is not flowing and like, how do I get new ideas and innovation, that's where I assign homework. Like, I want you to go out and take a walk. I want you to go to a museum. I want you to go hang out with friends. I want you to go read a book. I want you to step away from your computer and go experience life for a little bit. Because sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to be creating all the time. And sometimes we just need to let our brain sit and and relax for a little bit. And then when we come back to it, that's where, you know, the creative ideas start to flow again. So I know that's not a new and innovative idea, but I do think it's important to remind ourselves ourselves that it's okay to take a break and recharge so that we can continue to produce amazing quality products or services or whatever it is that we're selling. Oh, yes. Would you say in your time working with, you know, all of these creators, that margin is the key to having more creative juices flowing? I know, like in my own journey, if I don't have margin in my life, I am not creating. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I'm very guilty of not having enough margin in my own life. And so I actually schedule it now. I have Fridays where it's on my calendars and I say on my calendar and my team knows and I say, do not schedule anything, you yeah. know, and and that's my day to, you know, take a personal day. That's my day to catch up on things if I need to. But ultimately, I have space in my calendar to do what I need to do, whether it's me time or catch up time. Wow, that's amazing. So I see that you have a few signature trainings and master classes. Can you tell us about, I, I loved looking into your proof to product podcast. I would love for you to share more about that. But you've sure. also got your booth blueprint and your delegating master class. And I can see where these would be, you know, such amazing tools for the entrepreneur who's getting started out with their product, trying to figure out, okay, I'm assuming booth blueprint is for trade shows, right? Yep. That one's for trade shows. Both of those two courses you mentioned are more for slightly more seasoned entrepreneurs that are in the product space. Although the delegating one, we actually have a lot of service-based people come through that too. But the booth blueprint, that is for anyone that wants to do a wholesale trade show and they're looking for the how. <laughs> so it goes through all the like logistics that nobody realizes they need to know. So how to get walls in and flooring and lighting and dealing with labor unions and shipping things like all of the nitty gritty logistics. So we have a free masterclass that talks about some key things that they can do before they sign up for a show. And then we have a course that we also sell called the booth blueprint that goes through those nitty gritties I just mentioned. And then the deciding what to delegate class, that's where I take people through my process of figuring out 
what on my plate can I give to somebody else? And usually it goes through a very simple process of tracking and identifying where you're spending your time and then deciding what you actually need to have your hands on or what you can delegate to somebody else. Because it's pretty surprising when we start to track our time, how much, uh, where time leaks are, I guess, where we're spending time without even realizing it. Or for a lot of entrepreneurs, we feel like, gosh, I can't give these things up. This is my business. I can't let go of these you know, projects or whatever it might be, but maybe there's pieces of that project that you can give up. And so that masterclass helps walk you through what you're spending your days on and what you can give to somebody else. Oh, I need to sign up for the delegating masterclass. I love that. I'm walking through <laughs> that right now. I I went on my first week-long vacation and since starting Fun. my business where I was, you know, actually not working. Don't get me wrong. I haven't been deprived and not traveling <laughs> at all, but I would work, you know, when I was right. traveling and it was my first time and it was kind of a trial run of, wow, I really can delegate this. Like yeah, the absolutely. world doesn't fall apart if someone else does this. And it was so freeing. So can you kind of expand on that delegation piece? Because whether someone's a product-based business or service-based business, I think we can all relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think delegating is a huge skill that everyone needs to have. Whether you plan to have a large team or not, there are times where you need to be delegating in your business. And so learning how to let go of the control, learning how to identify what tasks are appropriate for you to let go and which ones you feel like you need to have your hands on, that's hugely, hugely important. So for one of the examples I give during the masterclass is that, you know, as I was going through my own time gauge, I, social media was something I was spending quite a bit of time, you know, scheduling posts and, and writing content and all of that. That is an area where I personally don't want to delegate that because I feel it's important for me to be the voice of my brand and I want to drive the content. But several of my clients, that's a perfect thing for them to outsource because, you know, they're they don't need to be, they don't need to be the one doing that. They can have somebody else do it and still sound like them. And maybe it's more product focused for them. And so it's more the details in the caption are more about the product. And it's not about having a specific voice. It's more about describing what the product is. So, you know, that goes to show where every person is different and what you might delegate might be different than what I would delegate. And so the whole course kind of takes you through of how to track your time and how to identify what you should be delegating. And then I do also talk about where to find help. I, I think another misconception that creative entrepreneurs in general or online businesses have in general is they think that they have to hire people full time. And that's not the case. If you guys are interested in hiring and delegating some of the, your stuff, there are people that are open to contract work or flexible work or project-based work. And I know that that whole idea of hiring an employee feels so scary and putting somebody on payroll seems so scary for a lot of small business owners. And so I just want to reassure people that there are people that want flexible work if that's what you want to. So don't let that deter you from delegating even just small projects out. Oh, I 100% agree. You know, I I really started navigating that last year when I hired my first person on my team. And she was like, Kelsey, I don't want full-time work. <laughs> you know, right, like, right. I want to work total max 25 hours a week because I am at a season in life where that's my capacity. Yep. And it made me feel freedom of, oh, I'm not selling her short by not giving her full-time. You know, I had this relationship with responsibility of, oh, if I hire someone, I'm responsible. You know, I take that very seriously. I was a contractor at one time who, you know, would have someone say, I'm going to commit to paying you X amount and then would say, never mind. And so when I did 
decide to hire on a team, team members, I really kind of overdid it with that relationship to being yeah. responsible for them and really had to, to realize, oh, she doesn't, you know, want that. And that's been really an amazing fit for me because I was able to start with five hours and then I yeah. was able to do 10 hours. And I, you know, would only ease into each new level of commitment with time that I was delegating and say, okay, moving forward, I can do 10 hours. And then a few months went by and then I was like, okay, I, I think I can start delegating 15 hours. And yeah. for me, that, that was so freeing, but it also was satisfying that like when I finally said I can do 15 versus 10, I knew I would always be able to pay her even on bad months, you know, and yeah. I just didn't want to do that too fast because I felt very, I mean, I really wanted to honor hiring someone onto my team. Do you feel like really delegating is a hindrance for people in their expansion and their growth and their scaling? Do you think like there's at some point you can't keep it all on your own? Yeah. Plate? I do think it's a hindrance. And I think it's something that I've gone through a couple of times and perhaps you have as well of like, in our mind, we have this mindset that like, we're the only ones that can do this stuff. You know, we're, this is our business and we're the only ones that can handle this. And the fact is, no, that's not true. Like if we're clearly explaining things to other people, if we're giving clear instructions and we're giving them autonomy to do their job and we're truly hiring people that are experts in whatever it is we're hiring for, then they can do it. They've done it before and they can do it. And it's it, some of it's a control thing. I think some of it's just us stepping into our role as CEO of our business too and realizing that it's our job to be the visionary and the one driving the ideas and, and what we're moving into, but we don't have to always be the implementers either. We don't have to be the ones with our hands on everything. And, you know, like I said, there's certain, certain things that I still do have my hands on. I read the emails and I do the social media, but could I outsource that? Yeah, I totally could. Yeah. So. And, and I found that when I finally did let go, yeah, you might be breaking even on that expense for a while, but over time you see the growth. Yes. Every time I've hired somebody for my business, our revenue has grown. My calendar has freed up. My stress levels have declined. We've done more innovative programs and be, we've been able to add more things that I was excited about because I let go of some of the control and invited other people on to help me with things. Oh yeah, I, I 100% agree. And it's like, it's kind of like we have to do it with one thing before it proves to us that we can yes. do it with another thing. Yes, I agree with that. But, I, I do think like start slow and, you know, let it grow over time. I liked your example too of starting with, you know, five hours, 10 hours. I'm the same way. All my people are virtual. They're all part time. And, you know, we've grown different roles as we've needed them. And if there were ever times where we needed to scale back, we would just have a conversation. I think it's all about having really open lines of communication and just being on the same page. So. I 100% agree. It always pays off to be able to start delegating and it's, it's really the key to growing. So what would you say are some other keys to kind of growing the business? I know that you've been in this for, for a while and you've seen probably various business models come through your doors, but, but what are some kind of, you know, we've talked about some of the strategy components, but what are some of the mindset components of really scaling and growing a business? Because I've found that mindset has been equally powerful as the strategy piece. Yeah, this is a great question. I I think going back to what I was saying earlier about delegating particularly, I think the mindset of I'm the visionary and I need to be steering the ship and I need to bring other people in to help implement is a big one, is a big mindset shift that people need to make. I also think just 
self-confidence, knowing that what you're doing is helping people and that people are interested. And I, I think there's some imposter syndrome that's going around. I mean, I feel like it comes in waves for different groups and people and things like that. But just knowing your value, having confidence in what you're doing and knowing that you are serving your audience and serving your people in a meaningful way, you know, you None of us go into this just to make a quick buck, I would hope. <laughs> you yeah. know, like all of, we're, we're here to make an impact in other people's lives. And I think we need to remember that we we do have the know-how and we're not imposters. We're the real deal and we need to have that confidence going into it. And I think that's something that's just important to highlight that we all feel at some point. Yes, like, absolutely. No immune from imposter syndrome. How have you built community in the online space? I know it can be kind of a lonely a lonely road for many people, unless you start getting involved in kind of these group programs, which is kind of what, you know, my biggest piece of advice is how yeah. have you gotten, have you, how have you built peers and mentors and really kind of linked arms with other people in your industry? Because I, I think, you know, in a local community, it's easy to cope to, you know, networking events and nights with the local startup community or whatever it is, but in the online space at when you're just getting started, it can kind of feel like, where the heck do I even look? Yeah, absolutely. So I, if it's okay, I'll talk about this in two oh, forms. Yeah. One, what I do for my community and the people that work with me and then things that I've done personally to build community with my own peers. But for my community, you know, we have a Facebook group that has been going since 2011 when we started our, our programs. And it is such a an amazing place. It's, we've set the tone that this is a pay it forward place. This is a, you know, everyone shares what we know. And it's been really incredible to see everyone kind of step up to that and contribute to that. Uh, we have a huge vendor directory where everyone submits their different product manufacturers and service providers that we use and things like that. So it's not just about connecting and sharing, but it's also about supporting and, you know, sharing wins, but also sharing the tough stuff too. So that's one aspect. I would also say that during our courses, because we have those live calls, we do try to engage people and help them get to know each other so that they can build their own like sub communities, I yeah. guess, with, within our community so that it got, they've got peers to lean on. Because I do think one thing I hear a lot from the people that come through our programs is, gosh, I was working alone at home. You know, it gets isolating. I don't know if I'm on the right track. I just want to have other people to talk to that are going through similar things. So having that outlet has been really helpful to our students. Now, if you're, I'm actually going to talk about this from three places. If you're just generally looking for community, I think Facebook uh, Facebook groups are a great place to do that online. However, I would caution people that if you're in a group and it doesn't feel right to you, it's not the right culture or community, or it just it's not a right fit, then leave. It's totally okay to leave and go look for something else. I think some people are involved in so many Facebook groups that it's almost obstructing their progress because yeah. they spend so much time just like taking in content from these Facebook groups, but never having them the chance to implement on it. So I would, I would try to narrow with the groups that you're in. And if something's not a good fit for you, then you know, take a hike or invest in other mastermind groups or form your own peer mastermind group. There's a lot of different ways that you can build community, but I think it's up to us as individuals to be proactive about community building. And if we admire somebody or we want to get to know somebody, you know, reach out and, and make a friendly introduction and get to know them better, comment on their things on social media and just see where they're hanging out and, and try to do the same. For me personally, I've kind of utilized, you know, multiple things I just mentioned. I, I'm in a handful of Facebook groups. I have a business coach and there's a community tied to that that I pay for. And then I'm in two peer mastermind groups. So I've, I've, I'm 
immersed in my own little smaller groups of support networks as well as the larger support networks. So yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. And I, I loved kind of your thoughts on over, over input. Sometimes we're in <laughs> just way too many things and I just yeah. have to clear some space and have, you know, some silence for a while during different seasons. Absolutely. I find that I am pretty methodical. Like I, I definitely like to do my research and see what other people are doing. And, you know, I need to think about things before I'm very intentional when we launch new programs and things like that. So I, I need to do my research phase, but then I need to take a step back and make some decisions with white space and a clear head and not looking at what everyone else is doing because I want to make things my own. Uh, but I do think it's important to know what else is happening in the world around us and, you know, in the market around us too, before we start something, we don't want to, you know, accidentally replicate somebody else's program or, you know, we just, we want it to be unique in our own. So. Oh yeah. And one thing kind of you touched on about the community you're creating, and I, I do the same with mine is, I really believe in being open-handed and generous. And I think sometimes in the online space, people can be kind of close, like really tight gripped. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to just tell you the tip of the iceberg and, you know, let you fend for yourself. I think we're scared of our competitors sometimes knowing everything we know. And yeah. I just think that's no way to operate. Can you kind of touch on like generosity versus scarcity or... Yeah. Uh, well, I 100% agree with you. I, I say this to my product makers all the time. I said, you could give a room full of people an assignment to make a greeting card with polka dots on it, and it needs to say happy birthday on it. And you're going to get, you know, 25 different designs out of that room. You know, nobody's going to do it the same, even though they're given the same criteria. And you can give a room full of service providers the same instructions on how to create a marketing pitch or whatever it is that you're doing, you know, and the thing is, everybody's unique. Our approach is going to be unique. How we execute things is going to be unique. Nobody else is you. Nobody else is you creating whatever it is that you're creating, a product or service. And so I think it's understandable why people get upset when they see things that are too closely resembling their own. But at the same time, nobody's going to do it like you do. And you are unique in your, you're bringing your special talents to the table. So in terms of being gracious and open-minded, I don't mind sharing everything I know because the fact is, even if someone were to replicate my programs or my community, they would do it differently because they're not me. Oh, yeah. And, and I would rather that I share what I know and help somebody else succeed than feel like I'm just closed off to the world. And that's not who I am. And so I would not thrive in an environment where I was so closely guarded with information and things that I'd learned. So I just, I think so much more can come when we are generous with what we know. And even if that generosity is coming from, oh gosh, I totally messed this up, but here's how I messed it up. And here's what you can learn from it, you know? So I, I think it's much better to be an online business owner that is forthright with information than be closed off. Oh, I so agree. Well, man, I have loved hearing all of kind of your advice and your tips and your input. I think our listeners, especially those who are kind of looking to dive into a product-based business or just looking for a mentor in this space are going to truly love this episode. I'm thankful you've joined me so that I can even provide my audience with these kind of resources. Can you kind of tell us about what you're doing over at your podcast if they want more conversations like this or how they can work with you in kind of various different capacities? 
Absolutely. So our podcast is called Proof to Product, and you can listen to that anywhere you listen to your podcast or on our website at prooftoproduct.com. And basically, I'm interviewing a lot of our alumni and community members and also friends in the industry to tell their startup stories of creating their product line, navigating change and transition within their business. We talk about successes they've had as well as some struggles. And we've interviewed brand new companies that are just starting out as well as multi-million dollar companies like Sugarfina. So and Bandeau and a whole bunch of other big names as well. So it's really for creative entrepreneurs who are interested in hearing how others have scaled their businesses or how they're just getting started. And uh, as I mentioned, we're getting a lot of service providers that are listening now too and really enjoy it because we don't just talk about creating the product, but we talk about the marketing and operations and what goes into running a small business. So your listeners might enjoy that as well. And then we do have our delegating course that we talked about earlier. So I'll be happy to provide you guys a link to that if you'd like. And we've got our paper camp conference coming up soon too. So if anyone is interested in learning how to create a product line for the wholesale market and getting those products on the shelves of retail shops, big and small, that would be the core program for you. And that's just at tradeshowcamp.com. You can get all the information there. So if anyone wants to follow us on social media too, we are at tradeshowcamp and also the podcast is at proof to product. So we'd love for you guys to follow us there. Wow, Katie, it has been such a joy having you. And I'm so excited for our listeners to kind of get connected with you and what you're doing. And again, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time and thank you for having me. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. It's not every day you have to replace a water heater, more like every 10 years. The Home Depot can help with a wide selection of the latest models from Rheem and a helpful online water heater buying guide to help make choosing the right Rheem easy. From gas to electric, tankless, even smart models that can spot a leak before it happens. Water heaters have come a long way. You don't have to. Go to homedepot.com to find the latest Rheem water heaters and helpful answers and advice from our water heater buying guide. Only from the Home Depot. How doers get more done.